It just dawned on me listening to the ad for Ennis on the radio station. Mm-hmm. I don't think I've ever heard my ad. I have. What did they say? Because they just said, because with Blake's, they go, analytical takes on the Blue Jays. It's like, okay, yeah, it's, uh, he's the analytical guy. He's smart. Okay, it makes sense. I think I just heard Ben's is the smartest takes, which <laughs> the <laughs> smartest takes. In all of sports. Yeah, I've worked with him for years. I've heard maybe three smart takes. <laughs> like, decent takes. So, that's why I was like, hey, listen to Fan Drive. It's okay. <laughs> it's, hey, here, listen to Fan Drive. Not bad. <laughs> it's better than okay. It's better than Steve. Yeah. Solid, I would accept. What's mine? I, I've heard yours on the morning show. They, 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 they do it between the segments, but now I can't remember what it says. Like, it's like biggest news, hottest story, stuff like that. Oh, so I get I can't generic. Remember, I can't remember verbatim what it was. I get slapped with old generic, <laughs> eh? Ouch. That's, I, I go home and listen to it today and just see what it says. That's, that pisses me off. <laughs> <laughs> that's not Austin, right. Austin, you probably have it somewhere yeah, in there. Yeah, Austin, you make sure you get it at some point today on the show. We'll listen to it together. We'll listen to it in a second. Group half. review. <laughs> yeah, okay. So here's the big takes. From the weekend, all right, you ready? The mm-hmm. hottest take, but they they always try to label me as a hot take guy. I hate it. It's the <laughs> stupidest thing. I rarely ever have hot takes. A hot take is supposed to be something like you manufacture and you're doing it for outrage, right? You're doing it for attention type thing. Yeah, the who does hot takes? Uh, I don't know why this guy came to mind, but who's that center, the former Clippers guy, uh, who used to do the uh, he just he used to do ESPN. And used to Ryan come, Hollins? Yes, Ryan Hollins. Ryan he would come Hollins. on, and it was very clear that the only way forward he thought he could have it was if he just the most insane said crazy things. Yeah. Where he'd be like, "Kawhi's not a top twenty player after he won the championship," and you're like, oh, "Okay, man, like, <laughs> what do you want? What, what do you want here? It's just it's, he just wanted to get dunked on, and that's what they they created. Yeah. If anything, I think a lot of my takes are boring, like this one. <laughs> the Batista weekend was incredible. Yeah. They lost. Okay, I went to the game Friday. Nightmare. Showed up late, which I never do, and they were down 3 nothing. and guess how I felt? Bad. Game over. Yeah. The game is over. They're not going to score three runs. They are, after that massive output, they jumped from 27th in all of baseball. 27th. Mm-hmm. Think about that. The only teams worse at home right now in terms of scoring runs are the White Sox, the Tigers, the Giants, Giants, Mets, Guardians, Athletics. Mets, oh my God. That is just what a nightmare. But yeah, they were 27th at home in runs. I've gone to so many games this season. Brandon Belt hit that, I think it was Belt, because I was actually in the outfield, kind of like bitter and a little, you know, a few BLs deep at that point, (laughs) ready to just go, trying to convince the person I was with, hey, let's just leave. Let's beat the traffic because they're not not scoring runs. I think it was Belt who hit the home run. Mm-hmm. And I went, oh, it's kind of fun. That's all right. Yeah, what a, a home run. I never see those here. 24th in They're, all of baseball. 24th now after the... Yeah, after yeah. the massive Sunday start. And so it's just, it's such a disheartening feeling to be at the Rogers Center, a place that, by the way, they tried to redesign to create more <laughs> runs. Dalton Varsho hits the bomb yesterday. I went, well, good, because we built this park for you, yeah, Dalton Varsho. Five RBI. We built the park for the lefties, so it's nice that you finally hit a high heater. Good for you. Thrilling stuff. But, yeah, being there Friday night, I'm like, damn, you're out of it. Three nothing. Such a disheartening feeling. The only time I can remember feeling like that, I think it was 2017 or 2018 iteration of just one of the irrelevant Jays seasons where you'd show the park and they'd be down a run or two and you would go, okay, that's it. Yep. That's it. 
They just have so many weak spots in the lineup right now, and it's shocking because they end up scratching Chapman, who's one of the only guys on the team with an OPS over 800. And they have one of their best offensive days of the season. We got a game where everybody contributes. So that was nice. A little bit of momentum for them. But yeah, obviously the main takeaway from the weekend was just Bautista's ceremony Saturday. It like the Jays are in a wild card race. It's very clear. It's going to be tight. They've got a big set of games coming up here. The next eight are against good teams. And then they go into a stretch against a lot of bad teams. Mariners are battling. They're going to be scrapping and clawing the entire way. I just still think the Jays pitching is going to be able to keep their heads above water. But yeah, the Bautista ceremony was incredible. It exceeded expectations, which I was shocked by because we were doing, you know, a week of content leading up to Bautista and the bat flip to me anyways, doesn't seem that long ago, right? It doesn't Mm -hmm. seem like Bautista was just here to me. I I hate thinking about how far in the rear view 2015 and 2016 were, by the way, we can never complain about 2016 and the quote unquote slog of getting into the playoffs ever again. If this season continues the way that it's going, it's going to replace 2016 and at least 2016, we got the Edwin walk off and yeah, one of my favorite sports memories ever, but yeah, I never thought I was going to see Jose Bautista cry. Mm -hmm. If you would have asked me to bet will Bautista cry, I would have gone absolutely no chance Mm -hmm. guy was a puddle and apparently he was a puddle all weekend and good for him. I'm glad that he was like really soaking up the moment, really enjoying the moment, but yeah, I don't know. Okay, so the level of excellence thing, we maybe it's because I did debates with Ennis and whatever about who should go up and what the qualification should be. And watching him actually go up there, watching the name get revealed, watching the, the video message from him and then the speech from him, seeing his family, seeing all the players that came out around him, seeing all the stories over the weekend. And then, yeah, the culmination of that event, it did weirdly, this is almost a stupid thing to say, but it did weirdly change my perspective on Bautista and go, holy crap, yeah. Um, didn't win a World Series. Maybe it's because we're too accustomed to the, the Jays legends of the past mm-hmm. where it's, oh man, Robbie Alomar, it's Hall of Famer and you win a World Series and that there is that kind of measurement, right? Right. For success for this franchise. They're not, they've won. They've won back-to-back World Series before. And they didn't win for a very, very long time. But Bautista just as the signature guy of a long-standing era and just his importance to the franchise. And I thought, man, kudos to the Blue Jays. I know this just sounds like bootlicking, but my God, what a performance the organization put on for this guy. Completely deserved And they nailed it. And it just felt world-class. It was awesome. Anyways, Ben Nicholson-Smith is, I don't know if he's, is he not sitting there? Austin's giving me the, the one-second finger. Yeah, okay. So Ben Nicholson-Smith, who I asked to come on late last night bailed me out because someone committed what I think is one of the worst offenses that you can do in this business, which is like cancel last minute on somebody is Ben Nicholson Smith. Oh, nicest guy in the biz immediately comes through for me. What's up, brother? How are we doing? I'm doing pretty well. Um, yeah. Enjoyed the, uh, watching the ceremony on the weekend. Uh, the Jose Batista one, I thought it was really good, but, um, yeah, good to be talking some baseball with you. Judy. Yeah, brother. Yeah. Okay. So I, I was just gonna say just on the Batista thing, did you have any thoughts from the weekend that you didn't, um, share leading up to it like did anything change in your perspective like actually watching the ceremony well i do think it's really cool that the blue jays brought back so many of batista's teammates and former managers and coaches like i think that was just a really well done part of the ceremony on their part because then it just adds to the whole experience and you see adam lind and i don't think anyone was sitting there saying that they absolutely had to see adam lind and russell martin but it just adds kind of some depth to it awesome and yeah, I think it really was awesome. And you can see the appreciation that those players have. I think it adds to the emotion of the day for everyone involved. And, mm-hmm. you know, it was definitely an emotional uh, ceremony, an emotional afternoon. 
um, as it as it should be, just given what Jose Bautista has meant to to this team over the years. So I think that was really good, um, and it was nice to see that the fans were able to you know just show their support and show their love for Jose Bautista after all that all the moments that he's had in this city for this team. Yeah, 2009, Marco Scudero was special, and that was nice to be reminded of when we saw him there. I went, man, that one Marco Scudero season, he was the man here. But it was interesting to see all those teammates that you do associate with him, and then all of a sudden Marco Scudero came out, and I was like, oh, right. You know, he, oh, Bautista had friends before the team was really good. He's been here a little while. I I think that the Rogers Center, when it gets popping like that, and I, I know that every home, you know, podcast radio personality probably says this about their stadium or about their fans, but there's just a different level of heat that 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 the Rogers Center can bring when it's a special night. And and I was feeling that immensely, and I kind of wished I would have gone Saturday. I couldn't do it. I had a friend's housewarming party, so I was watching it on TV. But yeah, it just gets a different kind of loud in there. People seem to get it here. And I don't know if it's the, maybe it's a little bit of the inferiority complex still that the city will always have because it's the, you know, lone Canadian franchise in the NBA and in Major League Baseball. But it's almost like when you're a Blue Jay or you're a Raptor, especially, that when there's that culmination of a career or there's that moment to celebrate someone's career, just, yeah, everything gets rolled out. The red carpet gets rolled out. The fans completely embrace it. They completely get it. And yeah, I think that that was a large part of why Batista was so emotional over the weekend was just the response in the crowd was incredible. Oh yeah, you couldn't really ask for more as far as what the the crowd offered. I do sort of wish, just as an aside, that you know the fans have been allowed to maybe organically chant his name a little bit more. Yeah. Um, you know, that's that's probably a side note, but you know there was no mistaking the. Uh, amount of of love that the fans had for Jose Bautista. And, and it makes sense, right? Like it's a while ago now. You think back mm-hmm. to 2010 and, you know, of course, like you and I were watching those those games probably, you know, basically as, as intensely as we watch the games now. But yep. that is a long time ago. And, it. you know, that, it, it was a time where, you know, he was kind of the lone bright spot on on that team in a lot of ways where, you know, you look up and down the roster and it's like, you got your John Buck and you know, your, your Marco Scudero, like you said, and then you got a guy hitting 54 bombs and doing it with a lot of style against some of the best teams in the American league at a time that the blue Jays were really not in that category. So it it was cool. And it, it, you know, it definitely highlights the fact that this franchise has changed a lot since Mm -hmm. then. And, you know, it's full stadiums, it's teams that are competing and, and, um, at the same time, they don't have anyone like Jose Bautista in their lineup. That's for sure. Dude, he looks so good in that tight white shirt that he pulled off. That was so tight. And I went, man, all right, you can play. You sh- there's no way that you can't do a better job than Paul DeYoung today, right? Like, there's no way that he's not a better hitter in, in any reality to me. He could have stepped in. He'd be like, yeah, I haven't hit in two years. I would have gone, yeah, we're scratching DeYoung today. If there was just an extra DH spot, I absolutely would have done it on that one-day contract. <laughs> And yeah, you know, and, and, sorry, go ahead. And just to, just to jump in there. Yeah. Like, you know, as someone who covered Batista, that is the least surprising thing. Like that, that is, that is the, uh, no, well, I mean <laughs> the attire secondary, yeah. but just the fact that he shows up in great shape is just, it is the least surprising thing. Cause this yeah. is a guy who, you know, after games, maybe he hits two home runs, you know, out of those, out of one of those seasons where he's, where he's going yard all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, after the game, you're waiting to get his comments and he's getting a workout in, he's getting his treatment in. And of course, at the time, you're kind of annoyed by it, right? Like, okay, I want to go home. I want to get my story done. Um, but Batista was ruthless with the amount of preparation he would do. And he would not let 
he would not rush his post-game um, recovery work. He would get that done. Long before the Blue Jays had a formal high-performance department, he took everything that he did so seriously with respect to his body because he knew that that could give him a little advantage or help him stay on the field a little bit more. So, you know, when I see him out there, you know, looking great, there is there was zero surprise uh, to, to me. Well, yeah, and you heard that from – that was one of the messages that you got from every single one of his teammates is the guy didn't let anything go. It was everything was meticulous detail, and that was clearly with the body too, right? That was clearly with the way that he took care of himself as a player. And, yeah, I just a chip on your, his shoulder guy from the very beginning, somebody who always felt like he had something to prove. And maybe there was just a little bit of that over the weekend where he got to let loose and just, yeah, relax and accept what was actually happening for him. Because even when he was hitting those 54 bombs, right, that was the – that was the cool thing about Batista was he was hitting all of them and people around baseball were going like, hmm, how is this happening? Remember that? And it was, hey, oh, yeah. he's getting drug tested more than anybody else. And that was, the, that was the narrative around him to start his career. It wasn't, wow, look at this incredible player. It was, how is he doing this? What, what is going on here? And it lasted that way for a little while. And now we don't think about it because, again, 2015, 2016 kind of just completely encapsulated his career, stole so much of his career in terms of, what we talk about with the player, but yeah, it was fun looking back. It was fun enjoying all those memories. And it was also kind of fun thinking about how I, and maybe this is like, now this is a good way of moving off it. So the blue Jays are struggling and they great. They had an awesome offensive performance yesterday. I don't want to try to sound like negative Nancy here because that was a really awesome game. Everybody chipped in. Varsho has a big bomb. God, they needed it. Um, God, they needed that win just in general. But I, I also thought over the weekend, just seeing the attendance of the crowd and maybe one of the legacies of that Bautista team and one of his legacies from 2015, 16. And, and I know right after they went into the toilet and they basically started to do the rebuild, but it's just, I don't think that the blue Jays are ever going to be irrelevant like that again. You know, like I, I don't think that they're going to have stretches where they're just completely non-competitive where the payroll dips down that to me, it just seems like this is the new era for blue Jays fans is yeah, maybe you're not going to be the Dodgers when it comes to payroll, right? But I just, I can't envision a, a world where they're not just consistently competitive and trying to spend money and field competitive teams basically from here on out. Like that 20, what was it, 22 years that they went without playoffs? Yep. I, I know yep. there's that extra wild card now, so that changes the math too, but I, I just, that's never going to happen again to this organization. Yeah, agreed. I mean, it's, and yeah, two extra wild cards. Um, the Yankees, you know, definitely the worst the Yankees have been basically in my conscious lifetime, <laughs> you know, Dude, you think it's back amazing. And, like, yeah, it's like my whole life. I just like look at the ALE standings and I'm used to the Yankees at the top. Like, it's mm -hmm. just not really a question. It's like, you know, from Jeter all the way through to judge, like you just have incredible, incredible teams. And now the Yankees aren't good anymore and they're not about to be good soon. So that's always interesting. But um, yeah, to your point, um, I think that, that I agree with you. I think that the Red Sox, I think that the Cubs, these are more like the models for the Blue Jays where, mm -hmm. you know, in their bad years, like this year for the Cubs is a bad year, but they still spend on Bellinger and he goes out and hits 330. And then now they're actually having a bit of a good year and they're in the mix. Or the same could be said of the Red Sox where this is kind of an in-between year for them, but they still go out and get Justin Turner. They yep. still go out and make sure that they're augmenting around Chris Sale and James Paxton because you know those guys might get hurt, but they... they you know, bring up Bayo, they bring up their prospects and they have enough veteran talent there that they're relevant. And I think that, you know, not every year is going to be a, a banner year for the Blue Jays. Of course, it's not for every team, but I, I think that to your point, there are going to be just the elements of a competitive team and the resources to build mm -hmm. around it. 
when things start going right. Yeah, I just, I don't think we're going to see very many, uh, what was it? It was 2019, right? When they won only 67 games. And yeah, yeah I, I just, those are the types of years that I, I wouldn't anticipate in abundance moving forward here with this organization. Okay, I got two lines of thought for you before we let you go. And one of them was t- is touching on the guy that, uh, whose name you just mentioned, which is Cody Bellinger. And I started thinking, you know, yesterday was an interesting one because Varsho hits the big, you know, home run, drives in a bunch of runs. But Bellinger over the weekend was a killer, and he's been amazing the entire season. And I feel as though this one hasn't really been done before. But the how serious do you think the what-if window is on Bellinger? Because the Jays were obviously interested in him, looked into his services. He goes to the Cubs, but had they signed Bellinger, they don't do the Moreno-Lourdes-Guriel trade, I don't think anyways, with the Diamondbacks, right? They're going to go and go out and get another lefty. They're going to have him play center field. I don't know. Maybe the maybe it's Pilar that doesn't happen. But do you view the Bellinger signing or the potential pursuit of him as a big Blue Jays what if, considering all the ripple effects that could have happened if he just signs on the dotted line with Toronto? Yeah, they definitely had interest and they were they were in talks. He's a he's a Boris client. The Blue Jays have have worked really well with Scott Boris in the last um in the last few years and uh, he signed, I remember, because I actually, I think I was doing a radio hit on 590 at the time that I learned Bellinger signed. I think I was on with Ennis, and um, and that was at the winter meetings. Bellinger signed with the Cubs, but up until then, the Blue Jays had had interest. And I think that if they had signed Bellinger on you know, a one-year make-good deal, that's a, that's a great move, then they probably still uh, you know continue their conversations with Arizona about about the catchers um, and about Dalton Varsho. I, I don't think they signed Kevin Kiermaier. So, okay, so that's the I think one. That's, that's the switch. Yeah. Mm, okay, I, less I think sexy. that's... Yes. So, I mean, Be- Kiermaier's had a great year, obviously. Yeah. Um, Bellinger's had an even better year. Um, so I think that would probably be how things would have unfolded. Um, but who knows? I mean, there could have been ripple effects that I'm not really seeing there. No, well, that, that would have been the main one, though. Because all I could think of is how... I, I, every time I watch this Blue Jays lineup and everyone has the same thought. And again, this is weird to be talking about it this way a day after they ran up the score and there's some optimism and an off day and blah, 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 blah. But they're just, they're incomplete, right? They need that other bat. And it never felt like a lefty bat right now because that's the way the roster is configured where there's just, it almost feels like there's too many of those guys now at this point. You wish they would have had a nice, like strong right-handed bat in the lineup. Ironic after all of these years of hoping that that was going to be the case. But yeah, I just couldn't help but think, man, if okay, if they would have gotten Bellinger and it wouldn't have been Varsho and they would have still had Moreno available to trade, they still would have had Lourdes Gurriel. How different is the roster? How different is the record? How different are we feeling about that team if if that was the switch? But if it was Kiermaier, I don't I don't know. I don't think it's all that different. Bellinger obviously would have been a great addition to this team, but yeah, it's hard for me to see the season un- unfolding that much or having the what if be all that interesting. Okay, next thing though, and that was to be tied in with the Bellinger thing. They redesign the ballpark and they go, there's this power alley and there's going to be all these home runs and it's going to be amazing. And I mentioned, I went on Friday night, I go to a lot of games and boy, I, I can count on one hand the awesome offensive output games I've been to. Like I was happy the Jays won on Sunday and I was really thrilled watching them play but I was also jealous of the fans who actually got to see runs at home, big innings at home, home runs at home. Cause I've been to so many where there hasn't been that. And I had Jobo look it up today. They're 24th in baseball, Ben at home at scoring runs 
Which, and wow. I know like the runners in scoring position thing has been a real problem for this team all season long, but they, they jumped three spots yesterday. They went from 27th to 24th in Major League Baseball from that one game at home. And I wonder if you have any thoughts or theories like the park reconfiguration has anything to do with some of this? Because it's not like they're not scoring runs on the road. They're doing that in abundance. What, what do you make of the home stuff? I do think the park is a factor and, you know, it'll take time for us to get a full grasp on this. Um, but yeah, to my eye, it's it's playing um, in a way that favors pitchers so far. I mean, I think that's that's definitely um, the impression that we're left with. Um, so I think that's a part of it. I think also this team offensively isn't great. I think it's, you know, it's a pretty solid team. I, I think it's probably better than it gets credit for offensively. Mm-hmm. Um but it, it, it's not great. It's not a great offensive team. And, you know, you think about Bautista, you think about um, even, you know, the the years where the Blue Jays had Marcus Semyon hitting 40 bombs from second base, or even last year, what they were able to do offensively. It's just not on that level, um, in my opinion. Now, their pitching's really improved. Their run prevention as a whole, thanks to guys like Kiermaier and Varsho, is definitely a lot better, and they can keep runs off the board. But I'm not waiting for it to click. I'm not sitting here saying, oh, when are the Blue Jays going to put it all together? I no. think that, you know, this this is probably a team that's, you know, again, I'm not saying they're a bad offensive team, but I think they're probably more pretty good than they are great. And so I just don't think that lends itself to a lot of those really comfortable games like the one we saw yesterday where they put up 11 runs. Yeah, uh, and Bo, it feels so much worse without him there because now it just feels like, whatever seven, eight, nine you put together is just automatic outs. Like going from Bo to DeYoung is hard, hard, hard to watch. Um, What do you think the timeline is on Bo? Like what's your impression there? Well, they showed some footage and and I wasn't, I was off this weekend. They showed some footage on one of the broadcasts of um, Bichette uh, running the bases and doing some fielding drills. So that's really positive. I mean, obviously there's some uh, degree of comfort there for him to be out on the field doing that. Um, knowing Bo Bichette a little bit, I think it's pretty clear that he's going to want to be out there as soon as he possibly can. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, the Jays have to be cautious here. I mean, can they, if they can get through another two games without him, that would give Bo four more days here with the two off days on Monday and on Thursday before they hit the road to Cincinnati on Friday. So, you know, that's, I think it would certainly be tempting to to give him uh, four days by resting him two games. Mm-hmm. Um, beyond that, I think you see how he responds. But uh, it's, yeah, you're right. I mean, the lineup, there's just no replacing a guy like Bo Bichette. There really isn't. And he's so important to this team, um, especially at a time that, you know, guys like Vlad Jr., and, you know, are just not George Springer. I know he's been hot lately, but you still look at the season numbers for George Springer and Vlad Jr., and they're really not where you would have expected. So Bichette, in that context becomes even more important offensively. Yeah. To me, it's just make sure he's back for next week against the Orioles. Like that's the timeline for me going. All right. Yeah. yeah, The Phillies, the Reds, uh, the Reds, especially lately haven't been playing as well. Phillies can be tough for sure, but yeah, be back in time for Tuesday next week against the Orioles. Um, And then, yeah, there's another off day in there too. So last one, is this the rotation? Barring an injury, is this the rotation for the rest of the season? Yeah, I, I think so. Yeah. I mean, Ryu has done better than I thought he would, Same. you know, to be honest, right? Like coming back from Tommy John and missing all that time and then, you know, knowing that he's throwing 89, 
you know, it's tough to get by in Major League Baseball with with a fastball um, that's that's at that at that velocity level. But he's been able to do it. So give him credit. I mean, the other four, I mean, they've they've been pretty tremendous. I think mm-hmm. all season between Bassett, Barrios, Gosman, and Kikuchi, and the Manoa is a nice, you know, at this point probably more of a insurance um, policy to have at AAA. When the rosters expand in September, I could certainly see him coming up and and contributing to this team again in some form, um, or an injury could happen. But you know, at this point, I see no reason not to continue rolling with Ryu. And again, with the two off days this week, it's really not the time that you want to be rolling six starters. No. So I think you keep it to five. You make sure you're getting Gosman and Barrios in there, you know, pretty frequently, and you're not postponing their their appearances unnecessarily. So I'd roll with this five, and then you know. If they do get to the playoffs and, you know, at this point they're a game and a half up, they should they should be able to do that, but you never know. Then they're going to be in actually a really good position. And this is where, like, for as frustrating as this season has been, because it's been like a season where the Blue Jays, it seems, have fallen slightly short of expectations at every turn. Mm-hmm. Um, it still is a pretty good baseball team. And pitching, you know, I'm not exactly and pitching counts and, mm-hmm. and like a lot of teams would envy the Blue Jays pitching. So that guarantees them nothing, right? Having a good pitching staff on paper offers them absolutely zero guarantees. But like, I just wouldn't be surprised if this this team actually makes it and does pretty well in the playoffs. So, you know, it's a long road ahead. They have to get there first, but I'm going to be pretty interested to see what this pitching staff can do. Yeah, uh, I don't think you could have let Manoa play against the Phillies given where you're at in the standings right now. And you mentioned the two off days. So it seemed like a bit of a no brainer and Ryu has looked so good. Like if it's not for the belt error yesterday, it's conceivable. Ryu doesn't give up any runs, which is would have been two games in a row. And I know that they would have been short, right? They would have been short appearances, but it did get me thinking. And this is how good he's looked. I went, all right, if I was doing the playoff roster tomorrow and I was doing like, Hey, what's my order of confidence right now? Shockingly, I, you have to put Gossman as number one, but I would shockingly have Kikuchi at two because he's had, uh, what, a month now of an ERA under two? And he's just yeah. looked nasty. And so that's just my position, which is crazy. But, uh, like, looking at it from a year ago, but Kikuchi would be my number two and Barrios would my, be my three. And, and I actually wondered if, yeah, there's going to be a scenario here where Ryu could jump Bassett. That's how good he's looked to me. Wow. And I know he won't. And I, I know that's a real long shot. That feels like, yeah, a hot take. <laughs> I said I don't do, but... Man, he's been, he's looked like Ryu and he just, I, the thing I missed about him and watching him right now is man, the composure element of Ryu, like things start to go yes. wrong and it's just, it does not matter. And I want yeah. that for a guy in the playoffs. I know his one playoff experience with the Jays was a tough one in the Cy Young year, but he was hurt and we all knew that wasn't the same guy at hundred percent. I know Bassett's kind of got that dog in him too. He's that kind of guy, but I just, I love watching Ryu in those difficult moments and the feeling I have of I don't think he cares whatsoever. It was like Manoa last year. That's Ryu, just his whole career. So uh, I'm yeah. really interested in his stretch run, honestly. Like, I, I really I, I really think it's going to be fascinating to watch him the last month here. Yeah, I think I, to your point on Ryu's composure, like, he is remarkably composed. That was actually one of the first things I noticed about him in spring of 2020 before the pandemic uh, hit. Uh, watching him in spring training, it was like, this guy is just so deliberate and mm-hmm. so composed and it's, I think it helps. Um, so, you know, at, at this point, I, I would guess that the playoffs started tomorrow, probably not on the playoff roster, mm-hmm. you know, at least for the first round. But, you know, 
the other thing is, if you're trying to make it through four playoff rounds, who knows, right? Like you're going to have different rosters each round. So um, there could be room for a guy like him at some point. I agree. Benny, I know you got to run. Thanks for coming on today, brother. Always fun. Yep. You got it, JD. Thanks, Chris Powell. There's Ben Nicholson-Smith at The Letters, senior editor for the website. Overall, just the man. Again, I've, I've said this a million times, but if you had to do uh, like polling around Sportsnet, mm-hmm. like, hey, who would poll the best in the building? Who would have the highest approval rating in the building? He would be at the very tippity top. He would be in a battle at the top. We'd mm-hmm. be looking at him going, this guy, another year of just inc- incredible <laughs> polling numbers. <laughs> bottom, me, <laughs> grinding at the bottom with Mackie. <laughs> the two of us just <laughs> neck and neck, elbow to elbow, fighting each other like the middle arm rest on an airplane. <laughs> the two of us just pushing. What were you going to say? I was going to say, where, where would I land? Uh, they would go, who? Who? Exactly. <laughs> who is this? But, buddy, you're Sorry, the, you're the guy again? in the video game that doesn't have a picture. You know, when you go to the MLB.com no, website. I have the auto-generated. Yeah, that's you go to MLB.com and you look up Jobo, except for at sportsnet.ca, and it's just, you know. The gray. The, the gray <laughs> the silhouette. silhouette. <laughs> yeah, that's you. <laughs> the gray silhouette, Jobo. No stats available. Okay, yeah. But by the way, run down some stats, Jobo, that we talked about. Okay, because I, I got Chapman wrong. Mm-hmm, yeah, so he's, his OPS is now a 796. All right, just that one I said over 800, wrong. Yeah, the, the playoffs, they didn't make it between 94 and 2014, so yeah. 20 years, and then 2015, yeah. they finally Oof. got back in. And Cody Bellinger, 935 OPS, 18 bombs, 59 RBI. Yeah. Away from home, they're fifth in runs. Yeah, that's why I thought that was a sexier <laughs> what if if it wasn't Varsho. Yeah. And Varsho was awesome yesterday. Yeah, five off, RBI, yeah, yeah, you know? Awesome, awesome game. Yeah. But I think we're pretty set now that that's who he is. A guy who every once in a while is going to contribute. I loved the broadcast. Just basically being shocked he caught up to the high heat after an entire season if he couldn't get it. And the broadcast just, look at that. He got that. And then, and then they were just loving him for the entire broadcast because they were so excited that they saw him get hits and that yeah. they saw him drive in runs. But, yeah, he's one of the most criminal offenders on the team of the two out runners in scoring position. And he comes oh. up and you go, how is he up again in this spot? How? <laughs> But good for him yesterday. But yeah, if you would have thought about this team and you flip Bellinger's offense, put that in there instead of our shows, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. It's a different, Considering it's a different they would have still team. had Kiermaier, yeah, yeah. Bellinger's not the worst offensive player. That's not a Gurriel situation, even though every, Gurriel was a gold glove finalist because of the big cannon of an arm. Mm-hmm. He's not Teoscar Hernandez, right? That's probably the more appropriate descriptive one. Right. But, where you still would have had outfield defense, but all of a sudden if you would have had a guy that was a 935 OPS... I think that's really where the Jays were at when they were trying to grab that lefty bat. Mm-hmm. That was the original plan. They, they didn't want to go into the season with this lineup. There's just no way. There's just absolutely no freaking way that they thought this lineup was going to be disgusting and mashing. And remember, at the beginning of the season, Varsho hit in the cleanup spot. He did. Or fifth. I think it was cleanup, actually. He started fourth. Yeah. He started fourth. I mean, he started fourth. Yeah. That's what they had. They had the expectation of our show that maybe, just maybe, I don't know, 935 is high. Mm-hmm. That's a nasty season. But I think that they had the expectation that that guy was going to be somewhere in the mid-800s, mm-hmm. that, he, that he was going to hit for power, that he was going to hit for power at home, for sure, with that power alley. We talked about it a lot. Yeah. And it, it just never materialized. So good for him for chipping in. But, yeah, I, I think we're set on that. Yeah. He's mostly going to strike out. He's going to struggle with the fastball like a lot of guys on this team. Mm-hmm. And he'll have the odd game. He's going to be nasty whenever he gets on base. You feel like he's the best base runner on the team. (laughs) 
Like when he gets on first, I go, yeah. they're going to get him home, get him home. That's, that's the guy. His defense is awesome. Both center and in left. He's the future center field of this team, which yep. I think will normalize some expectation of him when he's playing that position regularly. Mm-hmm. For, I, next season onward, I have a tough time seeing Kiermaier come back. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Just, you, that's it. You, uh, you asked Ben about it, but how do you feel about the decision to send Manoa down and have Ryu in that fist? Well, I, I said it had to happen ahead of time. I actually was texting with Ennis after Manoa's start, and I went, that's it. Can't, like I said, can't have him pitch against the Phillies. So you were going to skip his start. So what were you going to do? You're going to just keep him up here? He'll be back when the rosters expand. Yeah, He'll probably get us another. He's going to, if you had to tell me what's the over-under on Manoa starts the rest of the season, I'll probably take the over, like game and a half maybe. But dude, they're in a dogfight with the Mariners right now. Yeah, They can't just be letting Manoa figure it out at the big league level right now. Plus the other guys are all nasty. Mm-hmm. That's the best starting rotation in all of baseball, one through five, with Ryu pitching the way that he is right now. Their top four is all sub four ERA. That's what I mean. It's nasty. It is yeah. a nasty, nasty, nasty group of guys. It, it's funny because that's the thing about the season that you kind of have to remind yourself of. I know people are frustrated, and they're frustrated for the the main reasons are the biggest trade acquisition, Varsho, and I'm, this is not in any particular order. Varsho comes in here with high expectations. He's the big splashy trade, and this this team, this fan base, is used to offense the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. They're used to home runs. And the offense just is not power heavy. Yes, they, they hit for average. They hit a lot of singles. They get on base. Cool. Yeah. They haven't been able to catch those runners when they put them on base. It's been an extremely frustrating season. And the big splashy trade guy where they gave up all the assets for is, yeah, a bottom of the lineup guy. Whenever mm-hmm. he goes above seven, you start to hate it. Yeah. You get very, very frustrated. Two, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Again, no particular order. Vladimir Guerrero Jr., the face of the franchise, has been, by his standards, awful this year. And I hate when people do the opposite, where they go, oh, but he's better than an average player. It's like, yeah, he was supposed to be an average player. He's supposed to be a future Hall of Famer. He's supposed to be be the best hitter. (laughs) Jeff Passan, I think a year ago, put this guy down as the best hitter in all baseball. Had him usurp Mike Trout. So for him to be having a worse offensive season than Brandon Belt, the reclamation project at 35 years old, is a nightmare. And with Merrifield. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's bad. It's a horrific season for Vladdy. Yeah. Horrific. I, how many Blue Jays games I've been to, I've seen Vladdy hit zero home runs at home this season. The face it, <laughs> every time I take someone to the game, yeah. every time, and I've gone with people who haven't watched a ton of baseball before, friends of it, whatever. I go, this is our star player. And then he like beats out. the ball into the ground to the shortstop yeah. three times. And you're like, yeah, he's our star. <laughs> That's the star. That's a really, really tough one. And then, yeah. yeah, just being able to go to these home games and then just not see runs scored in general, it's tough. They had – that's the season. But the pitching has been incredible, truly, truly incredible. And it's funny because the parallel there is actually the 2016 team. Well, the 2016 team, we expected that big offense. It was a bit of a grind. They were in a real tight wild card chase, and the staff was lights out that season. They were awesome. They were deep, and they also had something in common, which is they didn't have injuries. And so they floated yeah. on the starting rotation. And 2016, what? They got in the playoffs, and they won a round. They, they won a wild card game, then they won a round. I just, it, it feels like that with this team. Like, this is the destiny of this group to me. Anyway, um, I think that's it on the Blue Jays for today. Yeah. I got, I'll be doing a bunch, obviously, throughout the week on them. But I think that's it for today. I'm going to take a quick break because I want to talk about going to the Argos game yesterday. Oh, yeah. 
And I know some of you crybabies out there like, nobody cares about the Ergos. The second I bring up the name, <laughs> you guys are dorks. The mm. team is so fun. You're missing out. Last night at the stadium was one of the more pleasurable experiences I have ever had at a Toronto sporting event. The crowd was rocking. Awesome. <laughs> D- did anybody go outside yesterday? D- like, was anyone outside? Joe, I know you weren't. You were in front of a computer no, was, screen. You have no idea what outside is like. I was, work, I was working outside yesterday. <laughs> Joe, Joe is 23 years old, and he likes computers. I, you, you saw zero sun. You pay me to sit in front of a computer. That doesn't matter. You talk, what am I else to say? Always go outside. Anyway, I want to talk a little bit about Chad Kelly because what's happening with him is special, and I just want to talk a little bit about the, the game in general, just you know the atmosphere of being down the Argos right now. Um, and then secondarily, I I want I got to hit on this James Harden thing because yeah the boy is getting picante between Harden <laughs> and the Sixers. We uh, we got to touch on it. All right, quick break. Then that's next. Sportsnet 590, the fan. All right, Mackie tracked down my promo, or did he? He didn't. Did uh, he yeah. didn't? <laughs> Anyway, I uh, did. I just have to change stuff around if you want to hear it. Yeah, of course I want to hear it. That's the whole point. <laughs> Why would I want you to track it down? Diving just... deep into the biggest stories in Toronto sports and the NFL. The J.D. Bunkus podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hmm. Diving deep. I that's, dive, what, that's what I'm, it was. I'm diving deep. I like how it's like Toronto sports and the NFL. <laughs> Nothing else. <laughs> it's like not any, I was like, I'm about to do Harden. <laughs> he doesn't do anything. I like how they threw in NFL though. They're like, in the NFL, hey, he does. Yeah. Hey, this guy does NFL, all right? <laughs> this guy, hey, if you want Toronto sports and, and NFL. the NFL, he's diving deep. He's deep in the dive, yeah. and he's under there with the snorkel or the oxygen, the deep. oxygen tank. I would never deep dive in real life. No, no chance. Absolutely not. I Ooh. no. I think. I'm trying to think of whether or not I would go deep sea scuba diving or jump out of an airplane if I had to do one of the two. I, I jump out of an airplane. I think so too. Yeah. Because jumping out of the airplane, you're attached to somebody the first time. Someone who's done it like that's what I mean. Hundred thousand times, whatever. You're with some hero yeah. who's there. Who you go? Yeah, this is all right. Yeah. Deep sea dive. I'm not attached. I'm not some. I'm not a backpack on some <laughs> sick scuba diver. Yeah. No, I can't do it. I told you before. I've I've said this to you guys in private. I don't think I've ever talked about this on pod. But how those videos of those cave diver people. Ooh. That's the sickest I can feel. Yeah. I'm like when Kevin Kiermaier sees blood, <laughs> when <laughs> those videos go on the internet and I see them. God, I can't believe that they crushed Kiermaier like that, that he faints yeah. at the side of his own blood. I went, wait. They barbecued him. Why did you guys put that out there? Hide <laughs> that information. Don't Take let that, that to the grave, I know, please. I was like, don't put that out there. Don't put that out there about Kiermaier. That's going to yeah. change the perception around the city. Anyway, um, <laughs> yeah, so I went to the Argos game last night, and the weather, it, the weather was spectacular, okay? Just you can't. That's such a huge part of it. Mackie's saying, uh, Mackie, Argo's season ticket holder, mm-hmm. informs us in the newsroom that he doesn't go to the winter games, which is outrageous, which is such a poor position. You get a nice coat, you wear your thick pants, and you go to the games. They don't play through January and February, Mackie. Like, oh, November's cold still. Yeah, it is cold. And it's cold down by the water, and the wind blows in. And that's why last night I just went, this is such a spectacular thing that not enough people in the city do. Truly, it's such a great event. And 
I get the mentality of the city, which is high event, high event, high event, high event, right? Even though for TFC, that doesn't seem to apply because TFC's always done extremely well. They've got enough soccer fans. Like soccer is a much more popular sport than football. Like, I, I get it. I'm just saying that that building, and I went to TFC this year too, and I guess the team is having a really tough season, and so it wasn't exactly a sellout crowd. And it was against Nashville, who's a good team this year. Although they don't exactly have an international star of, or, or a star of acclaim that I think most soccer fans want to see, unless I'm wrong, Joe. No, they don't have a star yeah. with a name like in Yeah, yeah, or yeah. Like That's that. what I mean. They don't. They don't have a guy that you want to go down and see as a soccer yeah. fan. And there was a solid crowd last night. It was a good crowd. It was a loud crowd. It was a fun game. But all I want to say about this right now is, I get it. The CFL having so few teams at times, it just it does. It feels Mickey Mouse. Mm-hmm. It feels Mickey Mouse to people. You look and you see the Elks. And there's always a team or two in the CFL that are just completely irrelevant. And you say, okay, well, how many teams are you really competing against? And blah, blah, blah. Even the Red Blacks yesterday, a team that's not very good, playing with their backup quarterback, who played well, though, by the way. Crum. Mm-hmm. What a name for a QB. Dustin. Crum. Yeah, Dusty Crum. <laughs> Dustin Dust- Crum. <laughs> I know. He's Dusty Crum. And he went out there. He was actually kind of balling early. Three tutties. I know sports. I've watched sports for a very long time. When you go to these games, the product right now, this Argos team, they are high level. It's a high level, enjoyable experience. And the number one reason why the quarterback can play. And I think that when Chad Kelly first came here and Austin, you know, you're a resident CFL guy. You know, I'm not like, I I love going to these games. I love participating. I like trying to get more into the team. I've learned more about the team this year than I ever have, but it almost felt like, okay, they bring in Chad Kelly. He's the backup. He's someone who doesn't know the league, and he's going to be a bit of a scramble quarterback. In the CFL, you bring in the backup to do the quarterback sneaks, and that was sort of a signature play a year ago. But it had a little bit of vibe of, hey, Johnny Manziel came to the CFL, and this guy was not as good of a collegiate quarterback as Johnny Manziel, and this is sort of going to be a little bit of this light, you know, bringing in Johnny football light. The lesser version of him Another guy who had a bit of a troubled past in college, maybe cost him some opportunities in the NFL, and now he's going to come to the CFL because he's a name, not that he can ball. This guy is balling right now. Chad Kelly is throwing dimes. Do not let Chad Kelly escape the pocket going to his right because he's going to find somebody downfield, he's going to dictate traffic, or he's going to pick it up with his legs. That dude was playing on a bum ankle yesterday. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah, he big-dogged me before the game. Oh, <laughs> I put it on yeah. my Instagram story. He's focused. He's focused, He was. He's locked it's, in. It's game time. He was he's locked an in. animal. He was locked in. Yeah. He was locked in. <laughs> I, looked, I, I looked at his eyes. He never broke focus. He never broke stride. He walked out with Harris out of the tunnel. I didn't mm. see you there, Mackie, waiting to cheer on the boys. I was. I, I saw your story after. I was literally on the other side. No, if, you uh, weren't. If, if, if Galila had wanted me to get closer, we would have been closer. Okay, because I was trying to dap up the boys. I was trying to dap <laughs> yeah, up the boys and tell them, hey, you gotta yo, get locked in, get fired up. Chad City's was already behind there. you, boys. Battle Chad, in Northern Ontario. Chad didn't need me. <laughs> Chad didn't uh. need me that night. He didn't need to break focus. And yeah, he threw for over 400 yards. And what, four touchdowns yesterday? Yeah, four yeah, touchdowns. Four touchdowns. That, the pick was like, the, oh, the pick, pick to was Andrew horrendous. Harris. I yeah. think it was Andrew Harris in the fly. It was a horrible throw. Yeah. But just the way he rebounded right away, his mentality, his arm talent's off the charts. Dude, like, that's what I'm saying. He, this guy's going to the NFL. Like, this well, is... Well, he see, I hope not, because I'm an Argos fan. I, know, I think you're he's definitely going. right. He's, he's 30 going. years old is yeah. the only thing I have hope with. And no, he has had a troubled past. No, he's going. If he can stay out of trouble and he keeps playing a full season like this, people are going to take note. That's what I'm saying is this dude is balling. 
This is not a long stop, I think, anyways, in the CFL. Unless he loves it here, unless the he actually prefers playing, because he's gonna he's not gonna go start somewhere in the NFL. That's not the case no. that I'm making no, here. No, but he even said like he stayed here in the off season to yeah. get into like he's no, into dude, it. So I he, agree with you. He'll be it, in. Yeah. That's exactly it. He's locked in. He's got real chemistry with his receivers, and the guy can play. I'm just telling you, if you like football, if you are a football fan, a real football fan, mm-hmm. not talking about you know you say you're a football fan, but really you just look at your fantasy football team yeah. app. While you scroll through red zone, you know, like you have red zone on and you're just looking at your fantasy team and you're texting your buddies. Oh, I almost got a touchdown. I'm not talking. (laughs) I'm not talking to you. I'm talking to people who actually really enjoy watching football. There's no chance that you can go down to the Argos game, watch Chad Kelly play and go, the CFL sucks. It sucked. That wasn't fun. This is stupid. I don't even care about the Argos. Impossible. Yeah. Impossible. 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 The guy is, he's brilliant right now extremely enjoyable to watch. And yeah, there's a reason why the only game that the wagon of the Argos lost was the game that he got hurt in. And yeah. they had to put in the backup quarterback who looks like Mackey. <laughs> he played, he played like division three. Dude, too. he's, like, he's a tiny guy. That was the same size. No, he's so sneaks. I worry about his neck. I won't lie. Oh dude. <laughs> Be careful, buddy. Keep that head up in there. Too small. Anyway. We'll say too, JD. You see Nathan Rourke this weekend? Yeah, of course, like, yeah. He's balling out no, here. Big moment for Canadian football. Yeah, that was, I, that was I played against Nathan Rourke in grade two football outside at recess. Oh, like barbecued us. I, I, I love that you actually <laughs> brought up grade two football. Yeah, that's why I brought it up. Grade two. Grade two. Grade at two. recess. <laughs> grade two. That's how young Jovo is. He's like, I remember grade two. But to your point, too, I'm trying to, we're just going to power, through, power that. through that. I watched Malik Willis <laughs> and Will Levis this weekend for the Tennessee Titans against the Chicago Bears. And I'm, I'm willing to bet that Chad Kelly is better than both of them. So I, I think you're absolutely right. He has a place in the NFL. Whether or not NFL hey. teams take a chance on him. Yeah, I don't know. That's the, that's the question. He is 100% better than both of those guys. Yeah. <laughs> there is uh, zero. Say that. If yeah. your life was on the line and they said, yo, Chad Kelly or Malik Willis for this drive, and you didn't pick Chad Kelly, you'd be out of your mind. Malik Willis looking better, though, guys. Yeah, whatever. Anyway, Whoa, did he complete a pass to yeah, a wide receiver? Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> he's, yeah, my, he's like my, one. vertical passing. My favorite two preseason moments. First of all, poor, it's it's just so painful to be these rookie quarterbacks that come in for these preseason games because now the internet just wants to meme you to death for your bad plays. Yeah. And it's like you jump from going and playing in college to against the pros and against guys who are hungry for jobs. Yeah. And the internet is just barbecuing you. But my favorite two by far was uh, Justin Fields' stat line when he threw a pass behind the line of scrimmage that went <laughs> for a touchdown. Two and was like, yeah, yeah, negative, negative two, two. And then the Trey Lance pass that bounced out the of the touchdown. <laughs> yes. The Raiders player has a clear interception and it bounces out of his chest and somehow into a guy's hands. And I went, so this is going to be the Trey Lance forever because he's a goner. <laughs> I don't know what his future is. He's going to probably carry three quarterbacks, yeah. but. Yeah, no, they're not. He's not playing for the Niners. That's a maybe he has a career with somebody else, but for them, it's a huge bust. Third overall, man. Third, Third overall, overall. And he's gonna have played just a couple of games for them, and yeah, and it's insane how good that roster is still with blowing the third overall pick and all the capital they had to trade for it. No, they're sick. I still do think, though, maybe this is overly optimistic Seahawk fan here, but I think that the division race between those two teams is gonna be really tight this year. I think that it's gonna be obviously neck and so you're neck. You're all in. You totally believe in Gino, eh? You think like Gino? No, actually, I, it's here's the thing. I don't totally believe in Gino. It's just he's fine. Look at the NFC quarterbacks. Yeah, 
Like he's he's a he's a capable game manager. Like he's going up against Brock Purdy in the division. It's the same thing. Sam Darnold has the back. Like get the ball out. The issue Jimmy I have Garoppolo, with Seahawks right yeah. now is that the running back position is cursed, and they already have two injuries to the two young backs that they have. Yeah. I'm like, great. You're spending high draft picks on these dudes, and you can't keep them healthy. And yeah, you know, it's fun having good running backs, but that's why you hate spending high draft picks on them is because like you usually can end up with finding somebody later rounds that can have a little bit more value. There's just been so interchangeable the last couple of years. Anyway, yeah. um, I'm, I'm fully into football again. I'm back. Like I was watching preseason stuff this weekend. Same. Yeah. <laughs> I possibly gambled on preseason football. <laughs> Possibly you degenerate. <laughs> hey, guess what? I made all money on football this weekend. And yeah, my best That's bet good. hit yesterday again. So follow me on Twitter and Instagram. Cause I, I nailed another one with the Argos bad day at the ballpark Friday. Cause I rode with the Jays and it was a nightmare, but Sunday was a recovery day. Was it, there was a nice recovery day. Um, all right. Yeah. Let's wrap up here. Let's do, I'll do Harden in the podcast only portion. So we'll do a quick pod only. Uh, so subscribe to this podcast, leave five stars. If you like the show, I, uh, like I said, please share it, share the podcast. If you like it, tell your friends, do whatever. Um, quick, break and then we'll come back with the podcast only uh all right podcast only portion of the show are we rolling are we rolling are we rolling are we recording all right guys sweet okay so yeah we're recording podcast only um i mentioned james harden stuff it's spicy so this is basically the timeline of harden he wants a trade they go okay we'll explore a trade the clippers it goes hey he wants to be a clipper And here's the trade package and it sucks Mm -hmm. and it's Daryl Morey. And then the the Sixers say, we're not trading James Harden Yeah, because it's probably becoming again, when they say they're not trading James Harden, they're not exploring that they're like, they'll take him in the season, whatever. They're just saying, we're we're not giving this guy up for nothing. And now shortly after that, and it was funny because when I originally read that report, I thought, I'll be honest. I thought when I just first saw it, face value, it was, you know, Harden, you're still with Joel Embiid. You're still in the East. You know, you've already demanded multiple trades in multiple seasons. Mm-hmm. Maybe he, this can resolve itself once they get into camp. Maybe he meets with Joel Embiid. Maybe they go, we'll try to contribute. No. Where's Harden here at this? He's at a basketball camp, right? Of his own? It's, it's, it's on a it's tour of China. Yeah, okay, yeah. An Adidas tour. Yeah. An Adidas tour in China. Yeah, because I, I just see all of the James Harden stuff all over the floor. Yeah. So he's in China mm-hmm. out of an Adidas tour. Yep. And in front of mostly children. <laughs> yeah. Mostly children. It's a youthful crowd. He takes his time to say this. is a liar. And I would never be a part of an organization that he's a part of. Let me say that again. Daryl Morey is a liar, and I would never be a part of an organization that he's a part of. Okay, so for those of you that could not hear the audio, Daryl Morey is a liar, and I will never be part of an organization that he's a part of. Let me say that again. Daryl Morey is a liar, and I will never be part of an organization that he's a part of. End quote. Holy... <laughs> Can't get much okay, more so direct than that. We, we've had guys before say they're never going to play for teams again, right? That's not a big thing. But uh, Daryl Morey is a liar. Mm-hmm. And then he doubles down on it. Okay. We all know what he's talking about. Last offseason, for those of you that follow the NBA, you will recall Harden opted into a contract that people thought could have been a little wink, wink, handshake deal to help the Sixers be a more competitive basketball team. Mm -hmm. He is implying that 
the big deal that he was able to get the year before and taking that pay cut, there was a silent agreement between he and Maury that they would be paying James Harden a what he was due, if not potentially more, the offseason later. Mm-hmm. Now, the Sixers clearly don't want to give James Harden that money because guess what? The Sixers haven't really worked out with James Harden in terms of real, meaningful, deep success. They don't look like a contender. They look like a fringe contender at times. But ultimately, paying James Harden a massive contract at 33 years old, mm-hmm. and he's going to be 34. He and I, uh, yeah, very, like twins. <laughs> uh, you can't do it. You can't pay 34-year-old James Harden a Big max contract, especially like the up-and-down shape, the up-and-down fit, the up-and-down mood. It's just not going to happen. Mm-hmm. But if James Harden is able to prove that Daryl Morey tried to do a handshake, wink, wink deal with him. First of all, I actually don't know how that gets Harden and his agent in trouble. Like, I I don't know what the implication is there for them if they did agree to it. But Maury, that just feels like something where you're done. Like, you're you're done in... Well, it's cap circumvention, Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, you're done. You're fired. (laughs) Yeah, you're, you're going to be suspended. Yeah. And so, man, Sixers, between Brian Colangelo... And the find a new slant, and now potentially Daryl Morey. This organization just can't seem to avoid front office meltdowns. Yeah. In hindsight, that Brian Colangelo story, not that bad. His wife's just defending him online. Like, yeah, it's pretty bad. Not that bad. Yeah, it's not great. Not that bad. It's not good. Yeah, it wasn't, wasn't good. <laughs> wasn't good. Yeah. And, and remember, she took shots at the players, too. And it was clearly stuff that she was getting from him and running with it. That like private conversations that she was starting. I need to refresh myself on some of the things because find a new slant is. See, you guys, you guys know Patrick Reed's wife, PGA Tour. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like how she has the burner accounts that just attacks people and sue people that, for no. libel. Yeah, yeah but, like, there's, but that's like, the there's thing, levels like, to the wife. I, you know, no, no. She's a high fashion woman who had Italian sensibilities. I didn't sound <laughs> hindsight twenty twenty. Not that bad. No, I need to I need to go over the the quotes again. Because the only thing that sticks in my brain is collars the collars aren't that big. and the collars Find aren't a that new big. Slant. And it's just like, how that's <laughs> unbelievable. It's so crazy. It's so funny. It's truly one of the funniest things ever that his wife, who probably dressed him, was like, his collars aren't too big. They're totally I, fine. Find I picked a up new those collars. Find a new slant. And just reading that, imagine that was in your replies. You know, you made fun of Brian Colangelo's collars, innocuous joke, right? Because that's an appropriate joke. That's not making fun of someone's physical appearance. That's taking shots at a rich guy's big collars. That's as uh, innocent as it gets. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, some no-name profile responds, they're fine, find a new slant. Like, actually aggressively upset about it. And as if that wasn't just the way that case was cracked. It didn't need a big ringer expose. It was should have just been, oh, yeah, there's somebody defending Brian Colangelo's (laughs) collars. Hey, that's his wife or someone he knows. What? Well, the the original two is that is a normal caller. Move yeah. on, find yeah. a new slant. Yeah, move on. Yeah, move on. <laughs> move on. <laughs> so good, as if that would ever inspire someone to let go of the situation. Philly, uh, Philly also had Elton Brand there in between yeah. Colangelo and oh, Maury, and uh, he's the one that chose to buy his Harris over Jimmy Butler yeah. by all accounts. So yeah, yeah oh, tough, yeah. tough to buy little his Harris stretch. over me. Yeah, I that that's that's a yeah that's uh, that's not exactly the way that thing went down. That's the way Jimmy Butler has spun it. But yeah, there, yeah. there's some version of that. Um, okay. So back to the Harden thing. So he's like, I'm not going to play for you. 
first of all, I don't think this changes any leverage that they have. Like they'll just keep him away from the facility. They're not going to let him play like with the Rockets where he just gets way out of shape. And also if you're Harden, listen, man, if you get really out of shape, who who is giving you that contract? Like, do you think that at 34, you're going to be able to work that off the same way that you have in years past? Like that's, that's a thing that you can do. Like, you know, that like Patty Pimblett right now, right? The mm, UFC fighter, yeah. he puts on a ton of weight. Yeah. And they go, Patty, uh, how long are you going to do this for? He's like, well, I enjoy being fluffy. I think he says, he's like, I enjoy being fluffy and I want to do that until, you know, I yeah. can't. Blah, blah, yeah. blah. Great. There comes a time in every person's life where the pounds don't fall off the same way. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, you know, a couple of days of dieting. And I know he'll have professional nutritionists and he's still a professional athlete. And yeah, it's going to be a pro- uh, rate of injury, all kinds of different stuff. Yeah. Just harder and harder to do. He's in changes his when mid- you get older. 30s. He's yeah. in his mid-30s. Don't say changes when you get older like you know, Joe. Quiet. <laughs> I'm repeating what you just said. I know, but that's You what just I mean. said that. I know, but I'm just saying, you're looking at me, you're like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, yeah, no, I'm feeling you. He's 23. <laughs> Sorry, JD. You can move. You can move just like you. Let's just put it this way. You can put your shoes on a lot faster than I can. <laughs> <laughs> I, I came never, in today like to Joe all my ankle anymore. hurts. For <laughs> a race, Joe is going to put his shoes on real quick, not me. <laughs> I can't believe how badly James Harden has destroyed his legacy at this point, though, because this is kind of one of the tragedies of it. People treat James Harden like he's Russell Westbrook looking back on his success as Mm -hmm. though these were like Russell Westbrook. We know was a stat chaser and Russ had a moment where he was like, yeah, man, a really fun basketball player. And I always respect Westbrook because he tried, but he was always criminally overrated. And the fact that he won an MVP off of triple doubles and getting an eight seed is one of it's like. Carl Malone getting MVP over Michael Jordan. Derrick Rose over uh, LeBron that one year. I don't know. I actually kind of stand by that one. No, yeah, and beat over. Nah, but even even that one's more defensible for the regular season, I think, honestly. like Fair, because Jokic yeah. down the stretch wasn't really. And, like, and it's yeah. just like Jokic got his. He won, a t- he won a championship, and now there's no debate as to who's the best guy. Like, um, But no, that one was just Harden was clearly the guy that year. And in fact, Kawhi with the Spurs was the other guy that season. And they ended up giving it Westbrook. And people look back on it like Harden is a different variation of Westbrook. And I get it. There were parallels. The two guys were going head-to-head in the Western Conference at the same time. Yeah. They were fighting each other for MVPs. There was yeah. way too much push from the Rockets at the time, narratively, from Maury and co. about, hey, Harden's MVP. He doesn't get respect enough. He's one of the greatest players ever. He's the greatest scorer of all time. They were just so over the top with a lot of it. And then there was the playoff stuff. He had real playoff disappointments. But also... I think his team went 0 for 20. No, what was it? 2 for 27? What the oh, hell was 0 it? 0 for 20. It was 27 straight missed threes. 27 straight missed threes in a playoff game against game Golden State Warriors. Se- yeah, game 6, against, game the six yes. against the Warriors. And they also were across from, in my opinion, the greatest team I've ever seen assembled, the Warriors. Yeah. Better than the Bulls. Better than the Lakers. That's the team. Those are the three best teams I've ever seen. 2000s Lakers. 90s Bulls. 90s Bulls. Probably if I had to pick one Bulls team, it would have been, yeah, 96. No, I guess maybe I would want Jordan as prime a little bit more. Maybe, yeah, 96. 96, I think, Bulls, that's about as nasty as it gets. Mm. And then those Warriors teams that were across from Harden. But, man, Harden, go through. Just go look at his basketball reference page. It's when insane. You, yes. He averaged 36 points. in a, Like, <laughs> what's the list of players recently you can name who've done that? Very, very short. Dude, James Harden. It's just Harden. From the time he went to Houston at 23 years old yep. until the time, well, basically, he left. 
Because between ages 23 and 30, seven-year stretch of James Harden, mm-hmm. 26 points, 25 points, 27 points, 29, 29, 30, and then 36, then 34. Yep. All of that while getting close to or being over double-digit assists, mm-hmm. and all of which, pretty sure every season in Houston, he averaged more than six rebounds a game. Like... People used to bitch about his defense and they would cry like, oh, he's a turnstile. He doesn't try. It's like, yeah, man, if that's going to be the offensive output. Oh, it's like, think about the ways that we've crushed on Luka Doncic. Think about the ways that we've crushed on Luka Doncic and been like, man, this guy. I've heard people go, oh, he's not only going to be the best player in the NBA, but he's going to be like this. He's going to be that. And he's getting a little bit of the pushback now, too, right? Because it was always the thing like, oh, is James Harden show up in shape and like do all this different stuff? And like, okay, okay, okay. It's like. He was better than Luka Doncic. He was better. Yeah. He was better than Luka Doncic. I think Luka started earlier because he wasn't coming off the bench and he wasn't like a six man. He got to start his career right away as like the guy, but James yeah. Harden in his prime was better than what Luka Doncic has been now. Luka, Every, Luka also started playing professionally way earlier sure. too. So he had that advantage of the experience. Absolutely. He did. Mm-hmm. And my point is, is that Luka is going to be the new James Harden ish. We've crushed him. We've turned on him much faster, but James Harden, man, he was the man. He was so good. Yeah. So incredibly good. And now that's kind of forgotten because the last bunch of years of his career have been such a mess. The request of a trade out of Houston, then all of a sudden weirdly wanting to be back in Houston this off season for a little while, but they decided, you know what? Now we're, we're going to go in a different direction on this yeah. one. Um, Wanting out of Houston, tarnishing his legacy there, and basically torching it by showing up out of shape, causing his teammates to lose their freaking minds, and pissing off the Houston fan base to that degree. Then goes to Brooklyn with a powerhouse team, blows it there, immediately wants out of the situation. And at first, we don't really blame him. We go, well, you know, would you ever want to play with Kyrie? Because the Kyrie thing was so dysfunctional that we went, ah, well, you know what? He wants to get away from Kyrie. And now to be doing it again, three trade requests. Mm-hmm. Three highly volatile trade requests in three years. <laughs> That's now become your legacy, yeah. and it's just wild to me, dude. Because I-, I heard my favorite podcaster right now in all of sports, Jeff Teague, make the case that Harden is better than, or was better in his prime than Dwayne Wade was in his prime. And I was kind of hearing his argument. I'm like, you know what? Yeah, 36, and he's talking about hoopers and just like the style of play in which he played and how difficult it is and l- like. There's a bit of a case there, right? With he's going, yeah, you know, line him up with LeBron for those years and the weaker East. And mm-hmm. would Harden have been able to win with LeBron those championships? Like, yeah, I don't know about the one that he got with Shaq. But again, it wasn't exactly that. That run was flash was great. You know, Dwayne Wade was awesome on that run. But that also wasn't the most historic level of competition that he's faced, like much like Harden had to do when he was in the West. True. But either way, it's just like, even if you're going like, well, D Wade's defense, like, no, nah, man, D Wade was never a problem. D-Wade was never a problem. And basketball is a chemistry sport. And having your best players be the like top buy-in guy like Dwayne Wade. There's a reason why Pat Riley goes out and says Dwayne Wade's the greatest member of the Miami Heat ever. Mm-hmm. Better than LeBron James. He was like, no disrespect to LeBron, but that's why. Yeah. Nah, the guy that gives you consistency every single day and where guys don't have to wonder where he stands and you don't have to wonder if he's going to be out with like the baby in France. <laughs> Little baby. Is that who he's friends with? Yeah. Sorry, I get those two confused. Sorry, I don't blame you. Yeah. I don't blame <laughs> anyway, you. Anyway, <laughs> it just sucks. It sucks. Yeah, it does. He went from being a really cool player, someone that was polarizing because people didn't like the ball-stopping stuff. The free throws, yeah. all that. The way that he gamed the system, even though they 
didn't seem to mind it with other players. Yeah. Harden just become like NBA. Yeah, just now it's, it's just like now it. his his career he'll hold up because you know fifty years from now people will just look at his stats and they'll go holy hell look at this guy. But yeah, it's just it's sad, man. It's yeah. really sad. Well, it's kind of like Charles Barkley, right? Like Barkley ended his time because nah. he demanded out of Philadelphia, going to Phoenix. They go to the finals, and then he goes to Houston to make the Super but Team. He, no, right? but that wasn't no, but that wasn't it, man. It was not the same. Like that, he wasn't demanding out of every place. Like Philadelphia, he wanted out of, and then he went to Phoenix, and he was the man. He and he followed it up. But he demanded out of Phoenix to get to Houston, right? Because he wanted to play with Clyde and Hakeem at the time. I'm pretty sure. I don't think he demanded to get out. I don't think that this was like some big public thing. And yeah, like the Houston team with the ugly jerseys and whatever. Maybe and Scotty Pippen was on that team yeah, too. But it's just like, yeah, that was not all those guys were at the very ends of their careers. And like, yeah, it was never that wasn't the same that was not the same tenor of this man. It just it just wasn't. And plus, like, Barkley was affable and personable, and like you heard from him in times where it was like not just being upset about things. Mm-hmm. Like it just wasn't, dude. No, this is, and that never, that was not Charles Barkley's legacy. No chance. Charles Barkley's legacy is intact. And yes, the no winning thing definitely hurts him, just like it hurts Steve Nash. Oh, yeah, as, like a, as a guy who never won a title, right? But it's hard. His legacy is going to be a guy who never won a title and constantly left. Yeah, but my point is, though, is that his is going to be different than those other guys of not winning a title, where people are going to look at it and go, look at what they do with Nash. They go with Nash and they go, look at all the bad breaks he had throughout his career. Oh man, he got Robert Sarver and then Sarver was cheaped out on a bunch of his teams and Nash ran it, running. Robert sp- Ori yes, hip check somebody. We do that with <laughs> Nash. We make excuses for why he didn't win. Yeah. We do that with Barkley. We go Jordan. Yeah. He was the second best player on the planet across from Jordan for some time. Nobody's going to do that with Harden anymore. No, they're going to do the the Golden State Warriors thing is going to be a footnote at this point. It's going to be about the trades and about the fact that, yeah, he was a tough guy to deal with. And yeah, yeah. Maury, again, is in trouble, too, here because he has staked. This is a weird one for him. He staked his entire career, essentially, with Harden, backing Harden, going out and trying to trade for Harden, doing right by Harden. Mm-hmm. And now Harden's like, he's a liar and I'll never do it. They, they fought over money. Tough, tough to yeah. see this divorce. Anyway, one. What do you guys care about today? Like you can do one or two quick topics if you want them. Otherwise, we're going to wrap up. Have you seen any of Messi playing with Inter Miami? I saw the highlights from game one where he scored a hat trick and he was dominant. Two goals. Oh, it was two? Yep. I thought it was a hat trick. Two goals. Okay. I believe you. I believe you. I believe you. <laughs> okay. There's, believe there's you. one star I really want to talk about, but we can't. Did you see Canada doing the FIBA uh, beating Germany yesterday? Oh, yeah. 113, 112. Won the DBB Super Cup. It's just an exhibition tournament. Yeah. No. Move on. Canada uh, basketball's back, baby. Okay. Yeah. I, it's hurtful that you <laughs> threw that at me. Um, no, we got to talk about Phil. Oh yeah. Phil Mickelson. Phil in the bills. Okay. I'm quickly do the bills thing. The bills okay. hang the Lombardi trophy poster and it's like one team, one goal. I, I didn't yeah. see, you saw, said there's tons of backlash about this. I didn't see any of the backlash. No, a lot the of the backlash? backlash was like, why would you hang a picture of the trophy? If you haven't won one, they lost oh, four in up. a row, all that stuff. No, they got their eyes on the prize. And that's the yeah. whole point is that this season's Lombardi or bust. I don't know. They're not saying they're going to win the Lombardi. They're yeah. saying that's what they're focused well, on. And, and, it's, and it's not say champions or anything. No, no. Like it's not a championship banner. No, that's stupid. That's stupid. I don't. I don't know why anybody would be upset about that. I actually thought it was cool. Like the picture you sent me of the banner with the helmet, the, the and mask, the, and then you see the Lombardi yeah, see trophy the Lombardi reflected in, in the mask. It's like, yeah, that's what they want. That's the eyes on the prize. I don't mind that at all. Anyways, mm-hmm. yeah. So Phil Mickelson. So Billy yeah. Walters released a new book, Gambler: Secrets from a Life at Risk, as a former associate of Mickelson. Claimed that he bet over a billion dollars over the last thirty years. His losses mm-hmm. amount close to a million. 
million dollars. Hundred million dollars. Yeah, sorry. I was gonna say, what do you, you got that number wrong? Yeah, I, I read the one in the M. Hundred million dollars. Allegedly tried to bet on his own team at the 2012 Ryder Cup. Uh, 2011, he was placing nine bets a day. What was your first reaction to seeing all those numbers and everything that came out about that? I think that it's probably a little inflated. I need to do more research on the book, mm-hmm. you know, like into Billy Walters. Cause yeah, I've, I've read the excerpt, but I haven't read the full book. But Well, of course. Yeah. Um, what I will say about this is it sounds good to be selling a book and go secrets from a life at risk about Phil and have that number of 1 billion, mm-hmm. you know, like that's a sexy number to throw out there. So I'm a little, um, you know, do I think Phil gambles a lot? Uh, yeah. I saw the clip with Bryson, which is amazing. I mentioned it <laughs> before where he says, what else are you thinking about? And he's just immediately coming up with how much they're going to bet on every hole. And then they dust them. They just lock in because Phil wants to win money. Do I think that anybody who gambles over a lifetime, mm-hmm. unless you are someone who has a genius mathematical brain, who's able to see the edges and finds different, like Haralabob Vulgaris, who was early on NBA betting and to the point where he's looking at different markets opening up at different times, knowing like the Chinese gambling market opens up earlier in the day and that you can jump on some of those numbers and affect the lines and buy back a different price when it comes to America. That's, that's a different level who figured out like they weren't sharp with first quarter betting lines, you know, like that level of sharp mm-hmm. or me who again, <laughs> continues to be, the destroyer of Best Patano, bets, by the way, who just, yes, who's just murders. <laughs> no, but for real, if you want to be like the sharpest of the sharps, you have to have an analytical model and you are not hoping to be winning, you know, 80% of your bets, 70% of your bets. You're going to go through loss periods. You're going to suffer heavy losses. That's the thing about the gambling game. You have to know that there's the highs and the lows and that for most of us, this is an entertainment product. And that's the way Phil has probably done it. I, here's what I bet you about Phil. If he goes through his life and you're like, Phil, do you regret gambling this way? He's like, uh, no, I'm still <laughs> Phil Mickelson. I got all that money from Live Tour. I always knew I was going to be able to make more money. Yeah. I was never destitute. And guess what? Every time I gambled, I had more fun. I needed to do it because I hit that peak of gambling. Mm-hmm. That's not for everyone. Guess what? The rest of you listening to this, you can't be like that. You can't follow Phil Mickelson's life because you don't make Phil Mickelson money. You're not <laughs> worth Phil Mickelson. You'll never be close. Yeah. So you can't treat gambling that way. You need to bet responsibly. You have to not be an idiot about it. You need to make sure that your entertainment dollar matches the, what you can actually afford. Yes. But yeah, for Phil, I guarantee you, he has no regrets. Probably not. <laughs> he also definitely got that 2012 Ryder Cup bet in. Just, yeah, he called a friend yeah, and was yeah, like, yeah. "Hey, are you gonna play?" Yeah. He called him and asked yeah, him yeah, to play. One stop, one guy was like, "You can't do that." And he was like, "Oh no, I guess I won't." He, he called him and asked him to place four hundred thousand yeah. dollars on his team winning. So sick. If you bet <laughs> yeah. on your team winning, should you be in trouble? Yes. To be fair, I had Tiger Woods in the team, so. You should not be betting on your own team. You should not be no, betting but on if your you own all, team. Like Pete Rose, no. he only bet on the Reds. Yeah, I if, know. You can't believe anything he says, first, but if that is all, true. First of all, I was going to say, we don't know that's true. Well, I, I seriously doubt it's true knowing Pete Rose. Yeah, I was going to say, we don't know that's true. And that's the thing about degenerate gamblers is like, if you're betting on your own team and you're betting that much, 
who's to say that at some point you're not going to try to do something different? Who's to say that if your losses don't amount or if you start to see an edge the other way that you don't take your, it? Your moral compass because you work for the team, no, JD, man. you know? No, I don't think that. You don't think gamblers have a moral compass? I do think gamblers I don't have think a they moral do. compass. I'm a gambler and I have a moral compass. I'm just saying that I don't think that any professional athlete should be able to bet on their team or bet on, yeah. Against their team. Like, yeah, I'm very vehemently against those like things. Like that Colts uh, DB no. who got suspended for the year for yeah. betting Jonathan Taylor over. Yeah, He's no. like, I Doesn't support matter. Jonathan Taylor. No, I don't think he should be in trouble. No. <laughs> I know you're just like, see, what I said earlier today was like hot take manufacturing. That's what that is. Yeah. There you go, people. That's what that is. It's like someone trying desperately to make a take that makes sense that doesn't. Austin anyway, Ryan Holmes no. Mackey? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just, it's, it is what it is. You can't bet on yourself. You can't bet on. The only thing that I think is crap is when these guys have bet on other sports, which they should absolutely be allowed to do. Um, well, that's when they're in the facility. It's when such a gray area. It's but that's so what I mean. It's like, okay, so wait, it matters where you are. I'm like, okay, that's. Uh, I still get place that you don't want to have guys, you know, all sitting on their gambling apps and being like, oh, we're betting on college football. It's not yeah, exactly like the in best the facility, look. whatever. Yeah. But I think that the the stringency of those rules has been a little bit overly applied, I would say, especially considering the NFL. And I'm sorry, but it's just true. Like the NFL's history with like domestic abuse. It's not exactly very good. It's not glowing. <laughs> and so, yeah, for them to be so strict on this yeah. and then not strict on that, it's just, yeah, it, it seems a little bit worse. Anyways, let's wrap this up. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow. And then, yeah, I got, uh, there's a few things that are in here that I want to do as separate topics. And so that's what we're going we're gonna to do later. But anyways, thanks for listening. Subscribe and review and hit me up again always at JD Bunkus in the, in the DMs if you want to play. Speaking of gambling.